It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello to everyone. Welcome to the program. I pray you are exercising daily by walking with God. In a previous episode, I mentioned Elisa Childers, author of the book Another Gospel, A Lifelong Christian Seeks Truth in Response to Progressive Christianity. She discusses her experiences in a progressive Christian church. This question comes to my mind immediately. What does progressive Christianity believe about God, Jesus Christ, the Bible, miracles, and the eternal destiny for human beings. Childers said that there is a general unity surrounding three topics, the Bible, the cross, and the gospel. Allow me to give a brief summary of these three topics. In the class, the progressive pastor asked this question, Is there anyone in here who still believes that Adam and Eve were literal people? The implication was that none of the enlightened people the pastor had invited to the class would still believe in such fairy tales. But the question reveals a certain bias about the Bible. And indeed, that is what Childers found out. The Bible is discounted and what it clearly affirms. Childers also discovered that several fellow students were questioning that, quotes, Jesus died to pay for my sins, end quotes, concept, because they believed it implicated the character of God. If the Father required a blood sacrifice to atone for sin, it made him appear like a capricious pagan deity. If he desired that this sacrifice be made by his only son, it made God something worse, a cosmic child abuser. Concerning the gospel, the progressive pastor asked in class, who believes we were born good and who believes we were born sinners? Childers relates, I had learned by this point that if he was asking a question, there was really only two acceptable answers. If you said, I don't know, or took whatever view that challenged the accepted opinion of most Christians, you would be regarded as open-minded and intelligent. If, on the other hand, you affirmed the historic view you were dismissed as someone who was just living in fear or brushed off as someone who wasn't willing to intellectually engage the hard questions of faith. So what is the conclusion here? 
fundamental doctrines of the historic faith of Christianity and of the gospel were treated as abhorrent. On her blog, Preventing Grace, the author Anne Kennedy says, we are talking about two different faiths, two different kinds of love, and two different lords. In the last episode, I mentioned the book The Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity by Michael Kruger, where he expounds further what progressive Christianity believes and counters those beliefs from the Bible. These commandments were taken from Philip Gully's book, If the Church Were Christian, Rediscovering the Values of Jesus. First commandment, Jesus is a model for living more important than an object of worship. Second, affirming people's potential is more important than reminding them of their brokenness. Third, the work of reconciliation should be valued over making judgments. Fourth, gracious behavior is more important than right belief. Fifth, inviting questions is more valuable than supplying answers. Sixth, encouraging the personal search is more important than group uniformity. Seventh, meeting actual needs is more important than maintaining institutions. Eighth, peacemaking is more important than power. Ninth, we should care more about love than about sex. Tenth, life in this world is more important than the afterlife. Let's jump right into what Michael Kruger lists as the first commandment of progressive Christianity. Jesus is a model for living more than an object of worship. I suppose that it could be said that progressive Christianity actually affirms the divinity of Jesus, but instead puts the priority on his moral example. But is that true? Nope, not according to Gully's book. Gully rejects the virgin birth, the sinlessness of Jesus, and the miracles as myths designed to elevate Jesus to a divine status. Indeed, Gully insists that the church's worship of Jesus is something he would not have favored. So it is clear that the progressives are not merely putting the priority of Jesus as a moral example over that of accepting him as divine. Rather, they are directly rejecting the divine status of Jesus. And in that case, this is nothing new. In J. Gresham's Machen's Day, this is precisely how liberal Christianity viewed Jesus. True believers in Jesus would agree that he was, in fact, a moral example for his followers. Jesus often called his followers to do what he did. That's found in John 13, verse 15. 
But is Jesus merely a moral example and nothing more? Or, to put it differently, do the Gospels present Jesus as just a wise sage, a Gandhi-like figure, offering practical tips for living? An honest reading of the Gospels shows the answer is a resounding no. As just one example, Michael Byrd's 2017 book, Jesus the Eternal Son, argues that even the Gospel of Mark, often thought to be the Gospel which presents the most human aspects of Jesus, offers a decidedly high Christology. Mark wrote what the Apostle Peter told him about his experiences with Jesus, and Mark's Gospel was the first of the four Gospels to be written. He jumped right in and recorded many of Jesus' miracles. Jesus healed many who were sick and demon-possessed. Jesus is the one who forgives sins. When he says, follow me, he is not merely inviting men to be his disciples. He is commanding them. He is the Lord of the Sabbath, the ruler of the storm and the wind and the waves. He restored people to life. He fed the crowds, and he sent his followers into the, all the world to preach the gospel. We cannot avoid this simple conclusion. We worship a miracle worker, Jesus of Nazareth, and yet his miracles pointed people to the Heavenly Father. According to the Gospel of John, Jesus fully explained God. Thus, we know a miracle-working God because Jesus revealed his true nature to us. Benedict de Spinoza, David Strauss, David Hume, and others did not believe in miracles because ultimately they did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Messiah is the word in Hebrew as the one promised throughout the entire Old Testament. Christos is the word in Greek, and Christ is the word in English. This can be taken as a synonym for the Son of God. Historic Christianity views Jesus as divine. While liberal and progressive Christians make much ado about Jesus' moral example, what is missing in their system is why should anyone care? After all, if he is merely an ordinary human being, why should we think his moral code is any better than anyone else's? Indeed, why should we think his moral code matters at all? Indeed, the liberals and secularists are always saying that morality is relative and are always resisting any absolute moral claims. We are told morality is ever-changing. So don't push your morality on me, they say. And most emphatically, don't judge me. I suppose you could imply that Jesus has moral authority, not because he is divine, but because he operates in a high spiritual office, like that of a prophet. Islam believes that. But how does one know whether Jesus is a prophet or holds a high spiritual position or not.
Scripture is the only way we could come to that conclusion. But then that raises the question of what progressives think about Scripture. I've already pointed out that Christian liberals say that Scripture is on the same level of all other sacred writings like the Quran and the Book of Mormon. The Bible is no, no better and no worse. That's what they say. Most progressives don't take Scripture as reliable and plainly reject its inspiration. Then how can they discover Jesus is a prophet or a worthy moral example? Other progressives accept the inspiration of Scripture. But if they do that, why don't they accept the passages that show Jesus as the one deserving of worship? Or even to emphasize the passages where people in his day worshipped him. Here is where we come to the most fundamental problem with the first tenet of progressivism. By removing Jesus as an object of worship, the progressive dictum essentially changes the nature of Christianity and makes Christianity a religion of moralism. What matters most, we are told, is not doctrine, but behavior. Deeds take precedence over creeds, conduct over theology. But this is entirely contrary to traditional Christianity, which emphasizes that Christianity is a religion of grace, not a religion of merit. It is not about what individuals do, but what God has already done in what Christ accomplished on the cross. Jesus declared, it is finished. He destroyed Satan and his cohorts at the cross and nailed the record against us on the cross. So far, we have discovered that progressive Christianity precisely reflects what has been happening in the Western world for more than a century. It represents yet another vain attempt to preserve Jesus' moral teachings while denying his divinity. In the end, Jesus' moral teaching only works when we retain his identity as Lord. The two should never be separated. The Bible says, quotes, What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. End quotes. That's found in Matthew 19, verse 6. Let's turn next to the second commandment for progressive Christianity. Affirming people's potential is more important than reminding them of their brokenness. The core issue of this commandment is the issue of sin. There are few issues that separate progressive Christianity from historic Christianity more than the issue of sin. Generations ago, Machen made the same observation regarding Christian liberalism. Machen wrote, quotes, at the very root of the modern liberal movement is the loss of the consciousness of sin, end quotes. Remember these Ten Commandments of progressive Christianity are partially true. The Christian message is not only about our sin and brokenness, the Bible declares, quotes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, end quotes. 
and, quotes, the wages of sin is death, end quotes. But that is not all that can or should be said. Quotes, Christ was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification, end quotes. Yes, but still more can be said. God begins a renewing work inside each believer, and that renewing work begins to restore the beauty of God's image within us. In that sense, we can truly say that Christ's followers have potential, which should be affirmed and celebrated, but we cannot forget that this potential is wrought only by the saving grace of God and by the death and resurrection of Christ. Apart from that, any affirmation of human potential quickly devolves into a version of nothing more than his humanistic moralism. Put differently, we must affirm both our sinful condition and the amazing potential we have as God's image bearers. The two belong together, but this is precisely the problem with the progressive message. They eagerly proclaim the latter, but omit the former. Again, they have separated what the Bible joins together. Not all progressives deny the sinfulness of humanity. Some progressives might affirm both the sinfulness and the amazing potential as God's image bearers. But if we consult Gully's book, we quickly discover that Gully himself does not affirm both truths. He's quite certain that the historical teaching about sin is fundamentally mistaken. He argues that churches that regularly teach that all have sinned are guilty of spiritual abuse. Gully denies original sin on the grounds that Adam and Eve were not real people. He says their stories are just religious myths. The import of all this is to observe that lurking behind the progressive rejection of the doctrine of sin is the rejection of an even more fundamental Christian truth, namely the rejection of the saving work of Christ on the cross. Once again, progressives reduce Christianity to mere moralism. Contrary to this proclamation, the Apostle Paul writes, Quote, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's found in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. Quotes, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19, verse 10. Quotes, God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, end quotes. That's found in Romans 5, 8. I recommend to you, exercise daily, walk with God. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, 
Doug Apple at Wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.